Good evening and welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore and I tell you what, just hearing the chimes and uh, it just really uh, is encouraging uh, to me in this assignment that God has given us to do to declare kingdom marriage uh, to the body of Christ and to the nations at large. And so I tell you, it just warms my my soul and my spirit just to hear you weigh in and name your states. It, it just matters. You know, tonight I'm, you know, just got news that a very dear friend of mine's daughter, a dear friend of mine's daughter, we go to church together, her daughter has passed. And then I just learned that another friend who we used to go to church together was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and uh, she's going to be having surgery on Monday. Um, and um, it, it's pretty substantial. Things are happening fast, and they're happening quickly. And that's just that's just my life, not necessarily your lives. And so... Um, I can imagine, you know, you guys got things going on in your life, and I just wanted just to pause for a moment and just pray for those families and your families and, and just those of us that are going through these different um, difficult emotional situations. Um, so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Keisha's family or those that, uh, that are surviving, Lord, as she's translated onto you, Father. For surely to be absent with us is to be present with you. And so we thank you that Keisha's present with you. Now, Father God, release your love in Jesus' name. Release your love to that family. Fill them beyond measure, God. Envelope them in your love. Warm them with your spirit. Hold them tightly, God, even as they grieve the loss of their daughter, Father. And all those on the line that are experiencing loss in some shape, form, or fashion, God. Lord, I thank you that the love of God would be ever so real to them, God, that even as, Lord, that, that you just draw near to them in this time, God, and, Lord, give them eyes and a heart to draw near to you, Father God. We just thank you. You said in all things we ought to give thanks, for this is the will of God, and that all things would work together because we love you and have been called according to your purpose. And so we're counting on that, Father God, on this line, and we thank you for Kimberly, who's undergoing brain surgery on Monday, and another friend is having a toe amputated, God, because of infection, God, and all those on the line, Lord, that have people and families in their life that are just or just facing, or just incredible circumstances. Jaleesa, Lord, I pray for them now in Jesus' name. We join our faith together, God. And, Lord, we release, Lord, healing to these in Jesus' name. We release, Father God, in Jesus' name, your word in their lives. And we declare the blood of Jesus, God, the blood of Jesus would cover them Cleanse them, heal them, and reconcile them to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure when I are you guys hearing a bell? Uh, Amy, are you hearing a bell on my phone or something? Well, I'm going to keep going. Hopefully, you're not hearing this bell. Every, every now and then, there's a bell, and can I'm not sure me? what it. I can hear you. I do, I do not hear a bell. Just, just go ahead okay. and continue. Okay, it's just on my phone, Then I've been having challenges with this phone, so we're going to get through 
tonight. Well, those of you on the call for the first time, we've been praying since July 1st, 2018. We've been declaring what we have heard in the spirit that God has initiated a divine makeover in marriage, that he's upgrading our understanding and our skills in the way we approach this relationship. And so we're so glad to be a part of it. And then January this year, uh, we believe that he has told us to go to each state and U.S. territory and declare the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're doing. And as we leave seed in that ground, we pray that the rain of God, the water of God would water the earth in these states. And Lord, that in Jesus' name, opportunities would abound to continue to encourage and strengthen your people in the kingdom. We thank you for that. And so we've been to Alabama, Delaware, and this week, as uh, Amy said, we'll be in South Carolina. In April, we'll be in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. You can learn more about that by going to moreonrelationships.com slash joy. So I want to thank you for taking part tonight. Each week we pray, share share on kingdom marriage, and then pray again. Um, and in January 2020, we began posting these messages on Spotify, and you can find them at Marriage Reform with Kim Moore. You just need to download the app if you don't have it. We also started a YouTube channel called Marriage Reform. Got a few things up there, so check it out, like it, and we'll begin continue to add some stuff. And then on Thursdays, we've started doing a Facebook Live, and so we're getting gooder at some of these things as we learn and the learning curve. And so we appreciate your support. We appreciate you sharing the information and your network of people that God can take back marriage, and we can take back marriage to the body of Christ where it belongs. Well, last week we had a question was raised that I said I would answer this week. And it was about Ephesians 5, 23, and 24. And variations of this question are often asked, and so I want to address it tonight. Um, Let me just open in prayer, and then we'll just jump in. And so, Father, I just thank you for your presence here. I thank you, Father God, that this is your will, your assignment. And, Father God, tonight I thank you that even now I am a speaking spirit, God, and I desire to speak, Lord, Lord, rightly dividing your word, God, encouraging, strengthening, and setting your people free, God, that they might establish your kingdom in the unique assignments that you have given each marriage. We thank you, Father God, for untying the donkey, Father God, and loosing your people, God, that they would glorify you in marriage and through their marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. The question had to do with hierarchy in marriage, headship, and related roles. Let me read the scripture, Ephesians 5, 23 through 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, as I've stated before, there are different kinds of scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the word man there has to do with mankind, not male, but mankind, so that those of us that have received Jesus Christ may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So really quickly, a doctrine is an immutable truth. It's the base of our faith. It doesn't change. I mean, it is. It, it. It's rigid, hard, fast, what it's intended to be. You know, for instance, there's the doctrine of Christ or, you know, Christ is Savior and Lord and the Redeemer of mankind uh, or the doctrine of baptisms. Um, and so these things represent um, tenets of our faith. They're not changeable. They're not interchangeable. They just are. Hebrews 6.1 talks about some of these doctrines saying, let us go on from these elementary principles and then name some of the doctrines. The word uh, reproof is to expose and convict. So not only is the word uh, of, um, profitable for doctrine, it's also profitable to expose and convict us. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and guides us into all truth. In Matthew 16, Jesus rebuked Peter. You, you remember he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God. So reproof is an exposing and a convicting. And then a correction is to, um, is to return something to right order or to, or to get back on track. So the, the word of God is able to correct us when we go astray. It provides, um, it, it provides guardrails, so to speak, and, and enables us to stay the course, stay the path by putting corrections into our life. You know, oftentimes uh, Paul corrected, uh, was correcting in the different letters that he wrote. And then lastly, there's instruction. On one occasion, and instruction is, is, is just information um, to, to train, to work out, to grow, and, and, to, and, and, um, and to learn by. It, it's knowledge that we should apply or that we can apply. But instruction can change. It's not immutable. It can change. It's circumstantial. So on one occasion, Jesus sent the 12 out, instructing them not to take anything in Mark 6, 8. And then on another occasion, Luke 22, 36, he was instructing them again, and he said, this time I want you to take money and a sword. So instruction is not hard and fast. It depends on the circumstances and what's going on. And so when we look at Ephesians 5, 23, we have to first decide, is it a doctrine? Is it immutable? Uh, is it unchangeable? Is it, is, it, is it fixed and steadfast? Um, and so we'll, as we get into this, you'll, you'll make your own decision. The two choices I would offer you is, is it's either a doctrine or it's instruction. And so you'll listen. Now, the two most common ways we approach Ephesians 5, 23 through 24, you have the complementarian view. Some of you are familiar with that. But basically what they believe, what complementarians believe is that male and female have equal value. Husbands and wives are equal, yet they have distinct roles. And that males, uh, male, the male role um, is, to is to reflect Christ and is the leadership or the leader in the marriage, in the family, the church, and society. And women and wives reflect Christ's support to the Father in marriage, family, church, and in most parts of society. In that view, the husband is the presupposed, pre-assigned authority, the superior rank, the leader, signifying, and we use the word a lot of times, servant leadership, the role of the husband has with the wife. So in that view, in Ephesians 5:23-24, the husband is the leader and the wife is the supporter or the follower. In the second approach, is called the egalitarian approach. And basically what they believe is that also that men and women are equal, and yet they're different, but they do not believe that these differences are universal 
prescriptive or reflective or indicative of a rigid hierarchy in marriage. They understand headship to mean source or origin as one coming from another. And, and each, of these, each of these two approaches, they have a, a litany of scriptures that support their um, particular opinion about what a fi- how to interpret Ephesians 5, 23, and 24. I don't think there's any verse that has caused so much controversy to me in the body of Christ than in this verse. Um, and so, I, you know, I guess what I want to do tonight is, is really just to look at it from a kingdom perspective. And so... And also share scripture so that at the end of this, you can decide. Maybe you walk away and you're, you're with the complementary approach, and if it's working for you, hey, go for it. Or the egalitarian, go for it. But at the end, at least you'll be equipped to decide what it is for you. Now, to look at it from the kingdom perspective, um, it looks like I'm going to run over, so I'm going to ask your forgiveness for, for um right now before I do it, and if you have to hop off, I certainly understand. Uh, but it's hard to get um, uh, to deal with this in, a, in just uh, 10 minutes because so much has been said of and made about this verse that it really bears really taking some time. And I've really prayed and asked God about this. You've got to show this to me, God, because each one of these groups present very compelling scriptures. So I said, God, show me your kingdom. In this, what is it? What is your response? What is your what is the perspective from the kingdom? He said, first to me, you're gonna to have to zoom out. And so, you know, I want you to zoom out with me for a second. You know, we have these phones now; we can zoom in and zoom out. And so, if we need to zoom out to get the background. It's great to zoom in and see the detail, but sometimes when we look so hard at the detail, we miss the background or the backdrop when this thing is how in the arena this thing is playing out or the context of this is playing out. So I want to zoom out for a moment, and we will come back to it, but, but stay with me. So to understand the kingdom perspective in Ephesians 5:23 through 24, we have to recognize a few things. First, God always speaks and acts from a kingdom perspective. Not a male or female perspective, but he always acts and speaks from a kingdom perspective. All scripture must be considered in light of the kingdom. That's because Jesus came to reintroduce the kingdom. In fact, it's the only thing he preached. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Over 100 times uh, in the Gospels we hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven referred to by Jesus. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. Number two, all kingdom citizens have the Holy Spirit. There is not one Holy Spirit for women and another Holy Spirit for men, not one for husbands and not another for wives. It is the self-same spirit working all in all. John 4.14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. Now, he was talking to a woman, but the word him there is basically anyone who receives this particular water. Acts 1.8, 
but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Again, there is not a separate Holy Spirit for husbands and another one for wives. It is the self-same spirit that is at work in each of us. And the Bible says, to many that are led by the Spirit are indeed the sons of God. Number three, in the kingdom of God, all citizens are sons and kings. John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them he gave power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were, not, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then Revelations 1, 6 says, and he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Number four, all kingdom citizens have the authority and responsibility to live and proclaim the kingdom and to rule the earth as God rules the heavens. Matthew 10, 7, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is hand. He was speaking to the disciples. Luke 9, 1 and 2, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons, to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are his possession. We are a bought, uh, we've been bought with a sacrifice. Our owner and our maker is the Lord God and his son, Jesus Christ. And then number five, as kings, our rule is not over people. God did not create us to rule over each other, rather to rule over ourselves and the gifts, talents, skills, and ability God gives each one. First Peter 1.13, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. But all, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Matthew 25, 14, and 15. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and entrusted them with goods. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his ability, and immediately he took his journey. So all men and women, husbands and wives, are kingdom citizens. All of them, as kingdom citizens, are kings, priests, with the Spirit of God living on the inside of each one of them. Now, to me, that debunks this whole idea that the husband is the prophet priest of his home, the king prophet priest of his home. He may move in that capacity, but a wife is also able to move into her kingly capacity or her priestly capacity. We, we're doing it all the time. We may not call it that, but that's what's happening. But the Spirit of God, this King, who is Jesus, this priest, who is Jesus, is living on the inside of each one. And number six, the next thing we have to consider are kingdom patterns. This is real important to understanding, and I'm going to sum it up for you, for understanding Ephesians 5, uh, 23 and 24. A pattern is a sign, event, or circumstance that repeats itself in a predictable way. 
Whenever we can identify a pattern in Scripture, it's helpful to understanding other texts and verses. Um, Excuse me. And so um, what I want to do in the kingdom, there is a pattern. It's It's the pattern of concealing and revealing. There is a kingdom pattern called concealing and revealing. That which is concealed is intended to be revealed. Um, And typically, what is most valuable starts out hidden, and then it's exposed. The pattern is important because if you understand that pattern, it gives insight on possibly what Ephesians 5, 23, 24 means. And it could help us to see it more clearly. So I want to give you some examples of the pattern of concealing and revealing in Scripture. So you say this is not a one-time event. It's throughout Scripture. To conceal is to hide, and reveal is to expose. You know, we could use the word cover, uncover, hide, uh, um, disclose. We can, you know, there are many synonyms that we can use. So here are the examples I want to give you. Uh, Number one, dry ground was concealed beneath the waters. Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Genesis 1-9, then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so the dry ground may appear, and that is what happened. So you had something concealed and then we see it revealed. And then Genesis 2, 4 through 6, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and earth. When God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there were no people to cultivate it. Verse 6, instead, springs came up from the ground and watered the land. So we have the earth, but there was no seed in the ground. Nothing had been planted. Nothing was growing because it had not rained on the earth, but God called springs to come up through the earth. Number two, seed is hidden in its kind. Genesis 1.11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. Listen, whose seed is in itself on the earth. So the seed is in whatever the thing is that God had called it to be. And the Bible says, and it was so. And then three, uh, animals were hidden in the earth. Genesis one twenty four. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. So the animals were in the earth. The seed was in the earth after its own kind. It was hidden. And it's interesting because the verse that comes to my mind as I'm thinking about that, the Bible talks about, I don't remember what verse it is, but a seed goes into, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, the seed goes in the ground one way, but it comes out another way. So, again, we have this whole idea of hiding and revealing, concealing and revealing. And so with, with concealing, there is a, there, there, the, the part of revealing, you see it in the word bring forth. The phrase bring forth is the Hebrew word yatza, which means to go or to come out, to proceed forth from, to as in origin or as in source. 
So a significant part of something being hidden is God's intention that it proceed forth, come out, grow out, and, and move forward. So now I'm going to come back to Genesis, but first I want to show you the pattern of concealing and revealing in some other places in the Bible. Um, we know the animals came out of the earth because Adam named them, and he had to see them in order to name them. So what was in now was brought out. And then their treasures are hidden in fields. Jesus speaks about the kingdom in Matthew 13, 44. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid it again. For joy over, over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. You know, diamonds, gold, silver, copper, precious metals are all hidden in rock beneath the ground, and they have to be mined. They have to be excavated. They have to be brought to the surface to be useful, to be, to be used in trading and selling. But they're hidden deep within the earth. Precious metals, pearls are hidden in clams. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 45 and 6, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl in the great price, he went and sold all they had and brought it. Well, pearls come out of clams. That's the source of them. That's the argument. It's interesting to me that God is likening this hiding to the kingdom. And then six, Jesus was hidden in Mary's womb. Luke 1, 30 through 33, the angel said to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth. So again, what is hidden is going to come forth a son, and he, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And then the Holy Spirit was hidden in Jesus, 1 Corinthians 5.19. That is that God, the Holy Spirit, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their sins against them, and has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So again, we have the Holy Spirit hiding in Jesus and coming forth through uh, through Jesus. And as kingdom citizens, our lives are hidden in Christ, Colossians 3.3. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Esther was hidden in the king's palace. Esther had in Esther 2.10, Esther had not revealed herself to her people, her family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. So she was in the kingdom, but she was concealed. On the second day of the banquet, Esther reveals herself, and that's chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. Esther replied, I have, if I've met with your approval, O king, and if the king is so inclined, grant me that my life as my request and my people as my petition, for we have been sold both I and my people, to destruction and slaughter and to annihilation. If we had simply been sold as male or female slaves, I would have remained silent. But such distress would not have been sufficient for troubling a king. So again, we have an individual who is hiding, and now she's being revealed. And then, and then Moses was hidden in a basket, and then in Pharaoh's house. In Exodus 2, 1 through 3, the woman became pregnant and gave birth to the son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. When she could no longer hide him anymore, she put him in a basket of made of papyrus and reeds and waterproof with tar and pitch. And then we know what happened. The, the Pharaoh's daughter came down, saw the basket, and 
opened it and took the baby out. Again, Moses came forth out of the basket. Babies are hidden in their mother's womb. Listen, can you imagine a baby living the rest of their life in a mother's womb? I mean, it's kind of like comical. Everything hidden is meant to be revealed. In fact, Jesus said that, that what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. Eggs are hidden in the ovaries and released each month. It's called a cycle. It happens over and over again predictably. The source of the egg is the ovary. Sperm are hidden in the testicles of men, released and released on ejaculation. They are hidden, and yet they are intended to be released. Woman, here we go, woman was hidden in man. Genesis 2, 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of one the man's ribs and closed up the opening. So again, we have woman, female, in male, and God opening up male and bringing woman forth. The Lord God made woman from the rib and brought her to the man. And then mankind was hidden in the earth. We go back, take it a step further to Genesis 2, 7. Then God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostril, and he became a living soul. So man came out of the dirt. And before mankind was hidden in the dirt, he was hidden in God, Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. The kingdom pattern of concealing and revealing is throughout Scripture. It is a both a spiritual pattern and a natural pattern. And in these examples, Hiding, uh, hiding is about covering and, and, and protecting. You know, you think about all of the things that I mentioned that were in hiding. It was to protect. It was to ensure that they would have the ability to go forth and to be able to be all that God intended them to be. And so one thing proceeded out of another thing. And so the interesting thing here is that um, – the earth didn't preside over what was in it. The animals were, if you look at when we were in school, we learned that mineral kingdom, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the human kingdom, and the spiritual kingdom. So the animals, you know, the, the earth didn't rule over the animals. The animals ruled over the earth. Animals don't rule over man, but man rules over the animals. So it is a kingdom thing and not an individual male or female thing. But in each case, there's a thing or a person, and then there's the source or origin of it. Women, woman was made from man. Man is the source of woman. And in each case, what came forth, whether it was Jesus, whether it was Esther, Moses, were all independent agents, meaning they were self-initiating, self-directed, and self-controlled. And it's clear to see that in natural examples. I mean, water covering dry, dry ground, a seed hidden in the earth, diamond hidden in the rock, a pearl and a clam. Well, what about people? Well, this is what I want to ask. In the story of Moses, we, uh, did, did the husband of his mother direct lead her to hide her son and put him in a basket? Exodus 2, 1 through 4. Let's find out if it was the husband that was leading or directing her. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. 
But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. So she was self-initiating, self-directing, and self-controlled, and she preserved the life of her son. I'm not saying, the Bible doesn't say where her husband was in the picture. But what we have here is an account of a woman exercising authority over a God-given assignment, and she's carrying it out in marriage. In the story of Esther, who was leading her to intervene on behalf of her nation? Her husband, the king? He didn't even know what her request, he didn't even know her dilemma. So it wasn't him. Her husband wasn't leading her. Was it her uncle, Mordecai? Perhaps he influenced her. But who directed her? Who led her and directed her to call a fast? If you read the account of it, Mordecai didn't tell her to fast. Mordecai just basically said, look, how do you know you didn't come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And then she, Esther, self-initiating, self-willing, self-directed, self-controlled, called a fast and went and told Mordecai, tell the people to fast with me. Esther 4.16, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. She's telling him what to do. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. And in the story of Mary, who led Mary? Mary was engaged to Joseph. Who led Mary to receive the Son of God in her womb? Joseph? Joseph, they hadn't even, Joseph didn't even know what was going on. I mean, they had to deal with Joseph. Luke 2, 30 and 31, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And she, Mary said, be it unto me, be it unto me. So she received that. She carried that baby. She accepted the will of God, and, and of her own authority, of her own volition, she entered in to taking part with the God of the universe to bring forth Jesus Christ. Her husband was present. Her husband got on board, but he was not leading this thing. He was protecting her because God, she was on a God assignment. And lastly, before we look at Ephesians 5, 23 through 24, we have to consider 5, 23 through 24, there are four, four and a three quarters of a chapter before we can even address 5, 23 or 24. Let me just give you a quick synopsis of what happens before we get to 5, 23 or 24. Ephesians, first of all, is addressed to the church, not to one male or one female, not to one husband nor one wife. In chapter 2, Paul writes, he says, for he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enemy that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death, death uh, to death the enemy. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and to those who were near, for through him we both, we both had access by one spirit to the Father. Now, Paul was speaking to the Jews and Gentiles. 
But these verses can equally apply to men and women, to husbands and wives. Why? Because we are one in Jesus Christ. There's no male or female in the kingdom. So he is addressing, Paul in Ephesians is addressing the kingdom status of the Gentiles and the Jews and male and female. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3 talks about the purpose. The purpose of bringing us together in Christ is unity, and therefore we must be, and and chapter 3 talks about being rooted and grounded in love, that we might be able to comprehend together what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love in Christ Jesus. So when we get to Ephesians, love is not a husband's responsibility. It's an instruction, but it is a kingdom responsibility that we become rooted and grounded in love because that which is rooted and grounded has the ability to produce on its own. It is the difference between manual labor and automatic. And so God wants us to become automated as kingdom citizens. And then chapter 4, again, talks about unity and not grieving the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 5 talks about who we are as men and women, husbands and wives, as children, and how we ought to behave. It takes 20 verses to tell us how we ought to behave as kingdom citizens. And then in verse 21, it tells us to submit to one another. And then after all of this, after the backdrop of the kingdom, after the pattern of the kingdom of concealing and revealing, after Ephesians, Paul talking to the church, and then in verse 5 telling us how we ought to behave as kingdom citizens, and then in verse 21, submitting one to another, after all that, we get to Ephesians 5, 23 through 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as, church, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. So here's the kingdom take. After all that, here's the kingdom take, the kingdom take on, and perspective on, on Ephesians 5, 23 through 24. And I'm going to give it to you in four points. One, male is the source and origin of female. She was inside of man, concealed. He covered her. He hid her, concealed her until God removed a rib and made her. Number two, so, so in that verse, headship has more to do with the word kephali, and there are different renderings of that word depending on what narrative you go with. But again, based on the definition of the word as being uh, source, but also, more importantly, looking at the pattern of Scripture that talks about concealing and revealing and the purpose of revealing, um, I, I would ascribe and suggest that the kingdom perspective is that word, headship, has to do with source and the origin. The husband, uh, in this case, is the head or the source. It's where the wife comes from. And then... Secondly, in the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is the leader and final authority on all matters, and each kingdom citizen is, is capable, required to hear, and to be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says as many as led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So in marriage, husband and wife equally have the responsibility to, to hear and to respond to the Holy Spirit. In marriage, we are both leaders and followers. And three, leadership in marriage is based on talent, skills, and abilities, except where clearly male or female is indicated, example, reproduction. We can't interchange our roles in the reproduction process. 
We have gender-specific organs that work in specific ways, and we can't change that. That is, I don't know of other roles that are so hard and fast, prescriptive and rigidly assigned to gender when I look at it from a kingdom perspective. But in kingdom marriage, we want to develop and discuss and find roles within each marriage that are reflective of each one's skills and abilities. That's when a marriage is going to fire on all cylinders. Oh, my gosh, can you imagine if each one of you were firing, were doing everything you do well, and there was no schism? It's amazing to me, and I was just trying to find a way to put this out here on Facebook, but it's amazing to me for decades, decades, we have talked about the differences, and, and it's called division between husbands and wives. I don't know how you can constantly talk about differences and distinction and experience unity. Tell me how to do that. Jesus talks about the kingdom. He talks about one God and Father of us all. There's one baptism. There's one Lord and Savior. There's, what, there's not a male leadership and a female. There is the spirit of God leadership that is operating either through a male or through a female. And it may sound different through a male, probably will, because male voices tend to be deeper than female voices. So, but it's the self-same spirit. We get so hung up, you know, on who is, am I supposed to lead or am I supposed to, I mean, it's just crazy. So then Ephesians 5, 23 through 24, the next thing, it is not a doctrine in the kingdom. It is instructive, it is circumstantial, and not universally prescriptive. I would never encourage a wife to submit to the leadership of an abusive husband, and neither would you. The fact in verse 21, which comes before 22 and 23, the fact that verse 21 says submit to one another tells me a couple things. One, submission is a kingdom value, and the responsibility of every kingdom citizen has to know how to submit. Number two, that verse tells me that the hierarchy that we have presented sometimes in marriage is something rigid and fixed is not rigid and fixed. Why? Because... Verse 21 says that we have the ability to submit to one another. If the hierarchy was fixed and rigid, then wives would, uh, husbands would not have the ability to submit. And submission is a kingdom principle. Jesus was the epitome and the model, the paragon of excellence when it comes to submission. And by the way, he was male. And then hus the husband and wife relationship, this is the last thing, the husband and wife relationship is one of equals that engages hierarchy to achieve together what neither one could alone. Oh, my God, if we would just get a kingdom understanding in marriage, it would be explosive. Why? Because the kingdom has come to set each one of us free. This kingdom is not about controlling people. It's not about domineering wives, and there's some domineering wives out there. God has not called that is, that is God has not called us to dominate people. He's called us to rule the earth and relate to one another. And anytime we're trying to rule one another, then we cease to relate to one another. The difference between influencing someone and controlling them is simply this. When you're controlling someone, you have a set outcome in mind, and you do everything in your will, lie, cheat, steal, whatever you need to do to make sure that outcome comes to pass. That is controlling. 
influencing is you do have an outcome in mind, and you really would like people to move uh, in the direction of that outcome. But once you lay out your case, you take your hands off of it, and you allow the other person to decide for themselves. So we must become influential leaders and not leaders that control whether you're male or female. So let's pray. I've said a lot, and I I know I'm over. I hope you got some of it. We can talk about it. I love your questions, your comments. You can email them to me at kim at moreonrelationships.com. I want to hear from you. Listen, I'm learning too. I, you know, we are, we are in a new era. We are in a new place with God, and we must begin to reexamine things that we've been taught and believed for years that, is, that are not producing kingdom-sized results. And marriage has not produced kingdom-sized results because religion is about maintaining you and controlling you, and the kingdom is about releasing you and growing you and maturing you and I into sons of God. So, Father, we thank you that you sent Christ to set us free for freedom's sake, according to Galatians 5.1. We thank you in Jesus' name, Father God, that you are delivering your people from every form of bondage, God. Lord, I thank you that every form of bondage that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy their authority as men and women, as husbands and wives, as kingdom citizens. Father God, we want your government in our lives, Father. We want your government in our marriage, God. We want to rule and reign as co-laborers and joint heirs with Christ, Father. We thank you, Father God, that even with this kingdom teaching, God, you are causing husbands and wives, Lord, to see themselves and see each other differently, Father, to be able to affirm one another and receive one another, God. Lord, we bless you and we thank you, Father God. Lord, we just glorify your name here tonight. And, Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would illuminate the words spoken here tonight, God. Lord, that any correction, Father God, any refining of this word, God, we open our hearts and our minds to you in Jesus' name. But, Father God, I just thank you and I praise you that you seeded this word in the heart of your people and you said, Lord, that your sheep would hear your voice and another they will not follow. So I release freedom tonight. I declare freedom in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the freedom that comes with responsibility, God, and that husbands and wives are responsible first for themselves, God, first for themselves, that, Lord, that they are exercising self-control and becoming the leaders of their own soul, Father God. Lord, people, Lord, that glorify you in word and in deed, a people of integrity, God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Father God, for removing the hypocrisy and the discrepancies from our life, God, that the world might know that we belong to you, God. And you said that the world might know your true disciples because of how well we love one another, God. So I thank you, Father God, that you've given husbands and wives the capacity and the ability to both lead and follow, God, that your kingdom purposes might come to pass in their unique assignment. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Well, we bless you. We honor you. Wow. That was a lot. Thank you for staying on the line. I want to go ahead and uh, give you the replay number. Don't forget we'll be in Columbia, South Carolina, Sunday, February 23rd. You can get all the information on my website, moreonrelationships.com slash join, or you can go to my Facebook page, Kim Moore Ministries. Um, 
You can hear the replay on Spotify later this evening. Just, you know, put in the search bar, marriage reform prayer call, and uh, with Kim Moore and all of the, the recordings will come up. The replay number for tonight's call is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. And the reference number for tonight's call is 80. Seven pound. Well, don't forget to share what you're learning. Um, question, all of that. That's how we learn. We ask questions. Share. Tell somebody what you're learning. Ask God to illuminate what you've heard tonight. But I'll tell you, you get this thing down on the inside of you, you will explode with freedom. And I'll tell you what, it's the glory of God wants to bring the glory of God back to marriage. And the only way he can do that is when there are free husbands and wives that are responding to him and to each other as kingdom citizens in Jesus' name. Well, we will see you on the call tomorrow. Oh, another thing, tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, I will be on Facebook. Not sure what I'm going to talk about, but love for you to come out. And uh, if you have a question about tonight, uh, go ahead and and put it up there on, on the live feed, and I will try to answer it then. Um, but again, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for the kindness of opening your heart and giving your time to this important message that I believe has come from the Spirit of God himself. In Jesus' name, God bless you.